and I cannot stress this enough. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. We apologize to anyone who is wearing headphones during the intro to this show. Please direct your complaints to at RJ O'Connell on Twitter.com. Sullying the memory of an innocent dog.com. <laughs> that, that, that was all his fault. I'm not responsible for RJ shenanigans. Welcome it's, to. It's don't... not my fault that Elon Musk is out here putting a wonderfully perfect dog in her elder years on the front page of the website to cover up on the back that he's being sued by a cryptocurrency. Okay? Uh, RJ, will you calm down? I'm trying to introduce the show here, okay? We're putting RJ in rice for the rest of the show. Yes, episode 433 of Motorsport 101. Hi, I'm Andre Harrison, by the way, and I normally host this show before I was hijacked by a Texan cowboy um, who's actually from Nashville. Um, From Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. There's so many jokes I could make. So many. (laughs) <laughs> welcome to episode 433 of motorsport 101 i'm your friendly neighborhood host dre harrison and well we've got to the end of this hat trick marathon of motorsport that we've had over the last uh weekend or so because it's time for indycast ppg 375 from texas um and uh introducing us first and foremost uh cam buckley how's it going man uh it's going all right i mean um I mean, Takuma Sato's race in that very pretty car, uh, you know, broke my heart, shattered my dreams, uh, ruined my day. But, you know, I'm okay. Let the record show. This man had been going nuts over this fucking livery in our Discord server for about five days before this race. And then the whole thing lasted about half an hour. I'm just like, Fuck oh, you, man. willpower. <laughs> Cam was, uh, quote, big mad about that incident as it happened. It was just it's like, oh, no, that's 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 Takuma in the PJ1. Oh, there he goes. Um, yep, yeah, unit lost. Um, and also, Sad. Jo- joining us is RJ, call me Tex uh, O'Connell. How's it going? Uh, I feel I feel really good. I'm, I'm ready to enjoy some barbecue without any sauce. Um, and... <laughs> And I'm also ready to root for football brands that have uh, that have an outsized influence relative to their results. I feel great. Uh, yes. <laughs> I am in the Texas spirit. I want to go hit up Bucky's after this. I cannot believe. You know, it was a couple of shows ago that I was ready to call this the Hawk Shoe Hawk Me 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 375. Just expecting this to be another dull, dull, processional, uninteresting. IndyCar race at Texas Motor Speedway. Wow, I am so glad I was wrong. We got, and I can't stress this enough, a good race at Texas Motor Speedway. A great race. um, Not just a good race. Not just a great race. A fantastic race. A race of the year contender. Yeah, this was... I can't remember the last time we had an IndyCar race this good. This was... A 10 out of 10 classic. And I don't say that very often about IndyCar or any racing series that I watch. This race was special. Um, the pro- the best race in Texas since 2016, easily. Oh, you, uh, absolutely. It ain't close. 
Yeah, this was a bar fight where an IndyCar race occasionally broke out towards the end. We'll get into all of the nooks and crannies of it. Joseph Newgarden going back to back in Texas and winning again. Um, Pato Award take, um, taking the championship lead with another second place, another narrow defeat for him. Um, we had Alex Polo, David Malukas, Romain Grosjean, Scott Dixon, Scott uh, Lachlan, all in the mix at certain Al- points. Al- Alex Polo really said, I will drive on ruined tires. It I will don't be care. no factor. No, you just. Uh, more on Alex Plow in a minute because I've got some shit to say about him. Um, we've got an absolute manic race to get through, but it wouldn't be IndyCar without a couple of catches in there. We've got to talk a little bit about some of the broadcasting standards and the controversial incident down pit road. And we've also got to talk a little bit about um, the, the series itself and the marketing issues that it's got at the moment because Texas, while a fantastic what race... Well, yeah, exactly. Um, Texas was great. Um, not that many people actually got to see it. You'll see what I mean when we talk about it towards the end of the show. But places you can find us first, we're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles are at Dre underscore WTF1, at RJ O'Connell, and at Buckley 917 the show itself, motorsport underscore 101. Um, we've got a Patreon page if you like us. You can back us down on there, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101, and all of those details and much more on our website, motorsport101.com. And also, if you want some bonus thoughts from yours truly on all of the weekend's action, do check that out. Gentlemen, let's go to work. Let's talk about IndyCar in Texas and the PPG 375. Holy shit, what a race that was. IndyCar- oh, what a race this was! <laughs> I'm, I'm about to gag, RJ. I'm a swear to God. My ears are not going to survive. I'm about to hogtie this man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) IndyCar had a classic thriller of an oval race in Texas for the PPG 375. We had a lead group of Joseph Newgarden, Alex Polo on older tires somehow. Pato Award, David Malukas, and Romain Grosjean all at the front, uh, all the front, exchanging blows in two and even three wide racing on the home stretch. It was a heated final 12 laps that led to Joseph Newgarden narrowly holding on to the win over Pato Award and Alex Polo as a final caution came out with two laps to go after Romain Grosjean got collected and under got collected under David, David Malukas' aero wash hitting the inside wall to end the race. Joseph Newgarden goes back to back in Texas with Pato Award becoming championship leader for the first time on 82 points over Marcus Ericsson in second because Marcus Ericsson refuses to go away. Well, that proved consistency so far. Gentlemen. Have Texas finally gotten this right? Everything they tried, everything IndyCar tried to make this race more entertaining worked. Now, yes, Texas Motor Speedway is using a different resin traction comp brand to treat the circus. And that's been working great for Texas because the bar is somewhere buried deep beneath the Earth's core. Very deep beneath the PJ1. I also like that they're doing practice sessions specifically for putting rubber on the outside groove, and they've been doing that for all the oval races and not just Texas. But it also helped that they liked that just like the Indy 500, they have these special aero parts where teams can choose as many as they want, if not all of them, to add as much downforce as they need to help mitigate the effect of turbulent air. And it also helped that tire wear was a factor. To that effect, late in the race, having fresh rubber was so important. I mean, with 30 laps to go, Pato Ward restarted the race in fifth 
And within a lap and a half, he was up to the lead, which just makes what Alex Pelot did to finish third in this race with the oldest tires in the lead pack all that more impressive, much more impressive. There was a usable outside lane in this race. I know. There were, there were times where people could go three wide. There were, there were times the first where time you, in half a decade. There was a usable outside lane, but it was still risky to go up there and advance your position. And honestly, I prefer that over in all out pack race, which and I know this is probably just a traumatic response from seeing bad crashes of yesteryear at this place and others like it. To me, when you have Talladega style pack racing with open wheel cars, it really just invites an unnecessary risk of needless injury or worse. And with that, and yes, that's a risk. Of course, racing at a fast oval like this always comes with an elevated risk that other drivers are well within their right to refuse, but I don't think it should ever go above and beyond that. It wasn't a dangerous pack race, but thankfully it wasn't it, it 250 was right, laps of... It, it was right in that perfect mix where the cars could race, they could get close, but they wouldn't bunch up with each other. I think the most we really saw was that final fight where you just, you know, you, you empty your guns. There's no turning back. There's nothing to save. And we had six cars close, but not pack race close, there, fighting at the front. I want to say, like, Grosjean and Herta made incidental contact with one another, and that was, I was like, oh, jeez. I, I, I almost, like, closed my eyes, but thankfully, I drove out of that. Uh, Joseph Newgarden said out of the, after the race, like, I just wanted to see Texas race the way it should race, and I think most people would look at today and say that's how Texas should race. Three wide the entire time? If only anyone had actually seen this race. I wouldn't want to see that. I think you can go too far nowadays. And you know what? After St. Petersburg, everybody realized that they have to race each other with respect to make this sort of thing work. I'm going to dis uh, pump the brakes on that real quick because you don't race the way you do on a street circuit that you do on an oval. Well, because exactly. when you do, when you, well, exactly, but you never do because when you do, you get Vegas 2011. Um, yeah, and even then, there was people really leaning on each other. I mean, Joseph Newgard's patented move at this point is eat PJ1 and <laughs> effectively arrow hip check someone up into the PJ1. You can't argue with the results, but you can't really call it clean. You know what? You know how wild it is that Newgard and No War combined to lead 216 laps today, and there was still a lap chance they both could have lost it without any dodgy bullshit taking them out of contention. It, it it was a bar fight. It was it was Goku versus Vegeta with those two the whole way through. Like there, it, Alex Polo was in the mix, but I don't think he ever truly felt like he could win this one. And don't get me wrong, he was on old tires, Alex and he was Polo, right with them. I, I say this again: Alex Polo is a fucking magician. I don't know how he does this sometimes. I, I like, will hop on one foot. It <laughs> will be no factor. Yeah, he just does it. He, he just does shit and. New Garden and Pado Award were throwing the haymakers. And I, lo I love that McLaren tried an alternate strategy where they just told Pado, go racing, son, and lapped almost the entire field. He it had the entire field except for Joseph Newgarden all lapped down at one stage. Yeah, screw fuel saving, screw, just go run qualifying laps.
Yeah, and he just did, and he lapped everybody up to New Garden in in, in second place. It was, and then it, it didn't work out in the end. But God, I, I love McLaren for even trying something completely hog wild like that. It was an incredible race. It was an incredible fight. It, it, it was just back and forth, outside moves, inside moves. Weaving Joseph trying the pushing Pado into the PJ1 trick. Pado going, I don't give a shit about your tactics and going around the outside anyway. It was incredible racing. It was the best Texas race since 2016. And that was the infamous Ray Hall, Hinchcliffe, Canaan, Pagano four way scrap that went all the way to the line um, with Ray Hall frigging fist out of the car, knowing that he'd won it, um, going over the line and almost ruining his own arrow, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but this was in, an incredible race. And I'm kind of glad, low key, that it went down to the two best oval races in this series now. And that's New Garden and Pado. Like, they are the two best oval races in the world for me right now. And New Garden did, did this so many times last year, and and Pado again can win any oval on 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 paper that he wants. He's right up there as the best oval. I think he's done like fifteen of these oval races now, and I think he's only finished outside of the top six twice. Yeah. Patricia Ward is one of the most well-rounded drivers in the series, and a and a future champion. You know why? Why not? Patricio Ward is an early title contender. Like he wants to, he wanted to win one of these races to start the season, but I, I think, I think he can do it. I really think that this, this could be his year. Yeah. It's about time. McLaren are competitive somewhere. I don't but, know, man. I mean, Did you see the rest of the McLarens this weekend? Well, well they fair, qualified right? well. And one I, of them got, one of them got speared in the pit lane. More on that later. And one of them just dropped it up in the marbles after qualifying up in pole position. Look, Felix, <laughs> I have been critical of Texas's continued place on the IndyCar calendar for a while because what it has been lately doesn't reflect what it used to be and what the circuit still believes it is because they always, always believe that they are entitled to this because... They've been on here for 25 years. They just got a fresh new contract for three, a multi-year deal to continue to host races. We'll talk about the spectator experience later, but today, Sunday on the track, they got it right. People are now clamoring for more IndyCar oval races. As if they weren't already. That's not really saying much. Because this is still one of the very few ovals on the schedule. At least this time, it actually proved that it was worth having on the schedule, and it wasn't a snooze fest. It was a great race. I love it. But I... they had to burn the midnight oil. They had to. They had to treat this track surface hardcore in the lead up to this race to get it in a state where it could race like this, and it still wasn't perfect. And, and then once again, they had, they had, better than it they has had, been. Yeah, they had to run the extra practice session, run in the higher line. And again, nobody really did. I think teams are just like, oh, more practice. Great. Well, well um, again, because the track up there is stained from the PJ1, um, it's not actually PJ1 on there, but it's actually it's sunk into the surface of the track. It absorbs the heat in the day. You go up there, you're risking, you're wiping your car out. It's just. Like hey, just just dip your toes in it. It's fine. Yeah, dip um, your toes in and watch them fall off. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, how how do 
How am I lot finished top 10? How did Elio Castroneves finish top 10 after the terrible, terrible qualifying session that he had? Elio Castroneves is still one of the best goddamn oval racers alive, and it's just a shame that he's driving for low tire pressure racing. Dude, I'm telling, <laughs> I'm telling you, though, David Malukas and Romain Grosjean, those first wins are coming. It's a shame that Romain Grosjean crashed out of what was definitively his best oval race. I'll tell you what. He ain't afraid of super speedway racing. I will tell no, you. He was free. he was mixing it up almost too much. I mean, everything New Garden would do to him, he'd he'd do it back. And man, he was pushing the line a couple of times. David Malukas is going to win a race at some point this year. David this Malukas is going to win a lot of races. Dude, He's Augustin a- Canapino out here outstripping way more experienced drivers than him in his first oval start. While he was getting dizzy because he's never run on an oval before, period. Yeah, he, he never experienced that before when he finished in the top 15. That was a really solid rookie performance from him. Low-key, Dre. Yeah. Let's say, like, Yunkos, for what this team is, one of the definitive minnows of the sport, really solid to start this year. But that's the plan. They don't want to be minnows anymore. They've had, they've loved being minnows, but now but, they want to be But they're doing, they're doing it the right way. Just solid. Yeah, solid performances there. I, I'm, I, I know RJ's talked to him a little bit, but yeah, shout out to David Malukas. Malukas can go. He like he he is completely unafraid of ovals at this level, and like it's like he's almost a better oval guy than he is a, a road and street track guy, and he was already a pretty good road and street track guy. I mean, he was, I mean, pretty much that entire top six group at the end of the race, we're all just hitting each other with increasingly large chairs. Um, No one was afraid to mix it up with one another. I mean, this is rookies and people very new to the sport, even though they're not really rookies in the case of Romain Grosjean. Um, Completely unafraid to mix it up with Joseph Newgarden, Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, which is weird to say that he's almost like an older presence in the sport right now. He's only been here for a couple of years. Um, and just the iron will to go grab a position. And you could, if you could place your car right, you could get the run. You could throw it up the inside or around the outside of people. There was times where you could go three wide and not just have a car that's in the gray, just dump it up into the fence. There, there were times where people would try three wide and they'd wash out the marbles and they'd crash on their own. And that happened a couple of times, but nothing like, I mean, I remember the qualifying run, the the first year of the PJ one where Sato dipped his wheel in the PJ one and just crashed instantly. Sato washed out the marbles and turned two and ended his race, his first start of the season. And it's almost over immediately. Yeah, because power was running way. Will Power had a hellacious weekend and he uh, was running really far off the pace at the end of the first stint. Sato got caught up behind him, took avoiding action, and just lost the car on the marbles. That uh, At least that die cast is going to be like five bucks now. Yeah, I, I told you after the race, I said, look, Cam, look at it this way. At least, at least the die cast will be cheap. <laughs> you say that, and then he's going to run it at the 500. It's going to be fuck it, It's going to be a top five car. $150. Stingray <laughs> Rob had it happen to him. Uh, wonderful. Devlin DeFrancesco had it happen to him, and, and then as he's trying to take the car down in the pits it drifts back up into the racing line and graham ray hall was so lucky that he it didn't end up getting hang on flyer miles hang on 
we need to unpack the giant pile of shit <laughs> that was Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing this week. Oh, dude. dude. They were Horrendous. embarrassing. They were embarrassing. I mean, Graham Ray Hall was lapped after 38 laps. He won this race in 2016. He is an he is a capable oval racer. Every I'll put it to you another way. Jack Harvey was 18th. Christian Lungar was 19th. Benjamin Peterson, a person who many thought was a liability to himself and others after his first start at St. Petersburg, where he just torpedoed his way through a pack and caught in a multi-car accident, outqualified and outraced them both definitively. They were worse than AJ Foyt Enterprises this weekend. Ed and- Carpenter, who only shows up for these races, which is basically a five race schedule, definitively outdrove them both. Space Guardian Ed. I mean, we were talking about this team trying to crack the nut of being the next big regular win contender two years ago. They have completely rejigged that team internally. They've moved people around. They brought in Jack Harvey, who is doing bits for Meyer Shank Racing or low tire pressure racing. Sorry. Um, and yet it's all gone. They're a back marker. What happened? That, that that expansion has absolutely crippled them. I, I like they. I get why they wanted to expand. They had the talent and the position to do so from where they were at at the time when it was Sato and and Ray Hall. It makes it and they made were winning sense. races and they were winning races. Graham Ray Hall was, look. Graham Ray Hall was not a, a regular race winner, but he would rack up top fives to top sevens all year long, just drilling consistency. And it's uh, just the floor is gone. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't. The expansion stretched them real thin. I know they've, they've gone into sports car racing as well with with their recent expansion. Like they're, they're stretched too thin. Well, they've been. They, they've been. That's not really a factor in my opinion because they've been in, in sports cars for years. It's just, it's really odd. To, I don't think it's driver because I mean Lungard was fantastic. Uh, Lungard, Lungard I don't think, is in the right environment to take the net step as an oval driver right now. As, as a driver, period. I, I mean, they have no performance. Graham Rahal, who, again, used to be just, you know, as much as we poke fun at him on the show, phenomenally consistent driver. And it's nowhere. He got, he, he, I mean, Scott Dixon, who was not the strongest car on the day at all, he drove by him like he had four flat tires when he went around to lap him. Oh, yeah, dear. Going out sad. And and dear. Jack Harvey. Oh, Jack Harvey. Jack Harvey is in a terrible, terrible spot because he needs to perform to keep his job, and I don't think he's in the right environment to do that. He's not in the right environment, nor is he performing. Scott McLaughlin. How did Scott McLaughlin go from run qualifying mid-pack and being a lap down to go finishing sixth? Underrated Scott- Houdiniac of the day. Scotty McLaughlin might be a dick. <laughs> and I'm still mad about St. Pete. But the man can wheel. Oh, 100%. 100%. Sad bit of breaking news to report on this show as well. That uh, unfortunately, uh, Lucy Foyt, AJ Foyt's beloved wife, has passed away 
today. Um, A quick statement saying, it was of immense sorrow that we at AJ Foyt Enterprise shared the news of Lucy Foyt's passing after a very brief illness. The beautiful matriarch of the Foyt family for nearly seven decades, Lucy's love and unwavering support of her husband AJ, their family, and the entire Foyt organization was immeasurable. We are heartbroken on behalf of the Foyt family. We ask for privacy during this incredibly difficult time. Uh, rest in peace, Lucy, and our condolences to all of the all of the fine people of AJ Foyt Enterprises. That's horrible news. Man, that, that's that's, li- that's literally just broken the last few minutes on social media. That's horrible news to hear. Um, I, I wish I could say we were moving on to brighter news, but um, we're not really. Um, there was a controversial incident between Alex Rossi and Carl Kirkwood on pit road with Rossi getting clapped for an unsafe release for driving into the side of Kirkwood's car. Rossi was quick to blame Kirkwood, calling him a dickhead for his actions. But later, the sport had to clarify its ruling on pit entry and exit with the car in the fast lane taking priority. What did you make of the incident and reaction? Um, first and foremost, um, when the, when in the world has the has the responsibility for an incident, a collision between two cars in pit lane, ever fallen on the car that's coming into the pits and not on the car that's being released into an unsafe situation. Well, I'll tell you when on RJ O'Connell it's it's in the foolish mind of James Hinchcliffe. Oh, here we go. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So coming down the pit lane, Kirkwood is coming into his box from the fast lane, i.e. the furthest right that you can be on pit lane. This is perfectly legal. This is how you pit an IndyCar. Alex Rossi is trying to pull out of his pit box. He gets released directly into Kirkwood's path, spears him in the side. This destroys Rossi's uh, right front suspension. They have to rebuild it. They lose like six laps. (laughs) And James Hinchcliffe. And for Kirkwood's trouble, I mean, he retired from the race with damages from that collision anyway. So nobody ended up winning out of this. But this is the silly thing, because if you listen to this race on IndyCar Radio, Mark Jane and Davey Hamilton called it correctly. They saw that Rossi got released in an unsafe position and while you know we could debate whether or not the driver should bear the responsibility for this they said that's an unsafe release and rossi's gonna get a penalty james hinchcliffe and townsend bell were just like oh hang on a second that's not how this works pal yeah james hinchcliffe who is a podcast co-host with alexander rossi and best friends with him made up a rule on the broadcast that is blatantly incorrect that you're not supposed to be pitting from the fast lane and doing that big swing, which is just objectively incorrect. I've said this before. And I'll, I'll say this again, and I and I'm you people that know me well know I'm the biggest James Hinchcliffe fan that you probably know. I love James, and he's I think he genuinely can be an exceptional broadcaster, and I'm delighted he's going to be part of F1's coverage going forward as well because he's a great personality. Whenever David Coulthard decides that he's not going in the business for himself, <laughs> yeah, you can't. You like there's the like there's two ways of me looking at this and hear me out here, folks, for a second. There's the one way where he just didn't know what the rule was, and he it's a, a case of ignorance, and 
that's already bad as someone that's raced in this series for the better part of a decade. We and he was in the series out- two years ago. Mm. And we just came out of a situation in Formula One where it seemed like Sky Sports did not know the rules of what ha- would happen in a red flag situation at the end of their race. Yeah, like there is the innocence the the slightly ignorant response of you just don't know what the rules are and then there's the more sinister white line of thinking which is were you just making that up to defend your friend wouldn't be the Uh, first time and he's done this before he did it at mid ohio last year and andretti had its internal meltdown he tried everything in his power to back up alex rossi and he kind of did so again here whether it was innocent or on purpose i don't know only one person truly knows the answer to that question dre what i would say is and hear me out here cam i know you can't wait to chip in hear me out here i said it i've said it on discord servers and i'll say it publicly here if you feel like you can't be critical of your podcast co-host who's racing and while you're not you need to make a decision as to whether you need to take this broadcaster's check or not. Because you can't sit there and do your job properly as a professional broadcaster who's supposed to know about rules like this, but then at the same time, ignore that completely because you feel like you can't be critical of your your podcast partner and one of your best mates. I'm sorry, you can't do it. It's a huge conflict of interest. I've got a big problem with that. You're missing a big thing, though. We're missing a big thing, though, is that it's bad enough if it's like just Hinchcliffe going in on himself. Where's Townsend Bell get off by going in on him like this, too? Like not even trying to put him in check. I say he said it with absolute confidence. Yeah, he did. He, he said it like he had the rule book in front of him open, which clearly he didn't because he was wrong. Where and was I Indy Car only... to just where was Indy Car to let them know? It, well, IndyCar had to Clarify. issue an apology. No, they had to issue an apology to Kyle Kirkwood because this incited fan hate mail against Kirkwood for causing the incident, which he was not responsible for. <sighs> I know that motorsport can bring out the worst in people, but I feel very sorry that Kirkwood had to had to take hate hate mail for no good reason. Like. It's embarrassing when the broadcaster of your sport has to apologize for not knowing the rule book properly. It's embarrassing on every level. Like, you should know better. Like, the three men in that booth should know better. It's their jobs. It's this quite is, literally their jobs. Dre. This is what this is, this is what you're paid to do. Like, be professional. Like, the, like on, on a side note, real quick, I'm a huge cricket fan. Anyone that knows me well, again, knows I'm a big cricket fan. The amount of former players that go into cricket commentary and don't do their homework because they want to get a quick check annoys me no end. Like, Because I would rather have no like, like relative nobodies come in who actually know the book and, and can be professional as broadcasters as opposed to just people who want to dine out on their name. And I'm not accusing James Hinchcliffe of that. I'm sure he's got good intentions. But I'm sorry, this is unprofessional as a broadcaster. It's just wrong. And it's happening, it's happening too often for there, for me, for there to not be smoke to that fire. Because I mean, Alex Rossi in mid Ohio last year made an attempt under caution to take Grosjean out. He, He lunged at his car. If you can make that the fault of the person ahead, 
who's just trying to warm up their tires. You better go enter the Olympics with that kind of stretching. You're out here losing calories, jumping to conclusions. <laughs> be better. It's, because we know that James Hinchcliffe can be. When he's on it on commentary, he's really great. But there's too many scenarios where the he is too impartial. It's oh, it's the other way around, Cam. I'd argue he's not. He's not impartial enough, or, or, or he's not. It's, it's a brain fart. Brain. Yeah, he's be, being completely partial to Rossi in the situation, and just not knowing the rule book. That doesn't make Alexander Rossi's day any better because he's already finishing seven laps down at a day where he should have finished in the top three, if not fought for the win. Yeah, yeah. Because he was competitive around here. McLaren yeah. were competitive when they weren't uh, being attacked by cartoon anvils. Yeah. Auto Award literally putting the car in his back. Uh, here is the statement from IndyCar. Uh, the 27, that's Kyle Kirkwood, approaching its pit bots, had priority over the number seven, that's Rossi, leaving its pit bots. So Rossi had, quote, greater responsibility to avoid the contact. IndyCar Oval's procedures divide pit lane into three sections, the outer fast lane, a middle transition lane, and the pit boxes. Fast lane is a lane that should be used when cars are on full speed on the pit lane speed limiter. The transition lane is the lane that should be used when a car is transitioning in and out of pit or when the fast lane is occupied. The priority of the cars corresponds with three lanes, with the cars in the fast lane receiving the highest priority. Cars in the pit bots are the lowest priority. Again, name me an incident where the onus on a pit lane collision has ever been on the car that comes into the fast lane. Um, I'm going to go with zero out of zero times ever, Chief. 1990 yeah, never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's exactly what Kirkwood did. He was at full speed. He came across the transition lane, which is why it exists, uh, to come into the pit box. And he was speared in the side pod by an unsafe release. Yeah. Kyle uh, Kirkwood's already coming off a bad year and people are starting to paint him with the unfair reputation of Kyle Crashwood. Yeah, that's a bit that's a bit of a stretch for me because, I mean, this one was explicitly not his fault. And St. Pete, I mean, he wasn't great. He was responsible for a couple silly incidents, but then most of the grid was so. Oh, he does need to clean up his act a bit, but I think it's a bit early to call him Kyle Crashwood. Very much so, but uh, fucking hell. I don't like the hate mail. I th I think Townsend and James should know better. Be better than this. Uh, they should take a page out of the IndyCar radio playbook, if I'm honest. But, I mean, <sighs> they could be so much better than this. They're, they're, this is one of the best boots in sports, but today they just had an off day. I want to talk about... Um, I want to talk about the big elephant in the room. It's the big, empty aluminum elephant in the room. Well, it's not really aluminum because these are all bucket seats. But, yeah, uh, we found out early that on top of all the giveaway, all the new ticket packages that Texas Motor Speedway is cooking up from this race, Paddle Award comped about 600 tickets to the event, and the main grandstand still looked half empty despite all the television advertisements going into the weekend. <sighs> Darian, Darian Gilliam of uh, Black Flags Matter described this as the best race that no one watched. He didn't describe this. This was the 2015 MAF TV 500 at Auto Club Speedway, a.k.a. California well, Speedway. You remember that? Not anymore. 
Well, sorry about that. The shoe fits, though. Mm. Uh, how was the TV viewership? Well, I can I can pull up the, the numbers here from Adam Stern, but it basically was just like everybody's down across the board, but IndyCar comes across the biggest loser on sheer numbers. Ugh. Ugh. Ryan King pointed this out on our Discord server yesterday that they are right now trending at about half the viewership of Sale GP. Like, the boats are doing really well in the US. Who knew? Um, look... I don't want to rag on IndyCar too hard here because they've just had a 10 out of 10 race and I feel bad almost for doing it, but it's hard to ignore how empty a lot of those major grandstands were, how many friends who were at the race said that the fan experience was not good and that, look, if Padova Ward is preparing to dip tens of thousands of dollars into his own pocket in comped seats to the tune of, by his own words, five to six hundred, because he had a deal where anyone that bought merch on his site in the week up to Texas got free tickets to the race. Like, apparently he comped about 500 tickets. Now, lowballing, that's about $20,000. It's probably a bit more than that. We've got drivers Uh, subsidizing the series now. Like, look, I love Pato Award, and look, he's very shrewd because we all know Texas is right near the Mexico border, and of course people will make the short trip over, right? I mean, he's not stupid, right? I and mean, he knows he knows where his bread is buttered and where his market is. I don't care what you tell me, it's embarrassing that the drivers have to comp this many seats to get people through the door. It's not a good look for anybody involved. Like, why? Could you imagine rolling up to an F1 race and Lewis Hamilton said, yeah, I bought out a thousand seats. What? <laughs> well, that's not a good never, thing. You'd never have to do that at Silverstone because people will pay an arm and a leg to come to see it because it's Silverstone. Yep. I got the numbers right here. Uh, NASCAR got 2.3 million viewers compared to 3.9 last year at Richmond, but their big difference was they were on free to air last year. This year they were on pay TV. Fox and that and NASCAR race was the pits. ESPN got... 556,000 viewers for F1 in Australia, down 12,000. So it's a marginal loss. IndyCar got 954,000 for its IndyCar Texas last year. They got 830,000. It's, it's a dip, but you know, you're still in the middle of a race that's on primetime TV on Sunday and a race that's on in the graveyard shift for, for America. Like this yeah. should be better. Less, but- than, less than a million people. Less than a million people. Prime time slot. And the prize, we can't keep saying it should be better because it never is. It never is unless it's the Indy 500, which markets itself. I want to know what the international numbers are like. Uh, Kate at Racing Kate makes a good point that they are gaining social media engagement. And that's why it could be a better gauge than the TV numbers in the United States. Because let's be real. Who's watching America? Who's watching terrestrial television nowadays? But what worries me is how packed the grandstands weren't for this race. It wasn't completely barren. I put a picture of what it looks like in the middle of the race. Like, there's a decent it's amount patchy. of people there, but it's it, patchy. It's patchy. And again, you had a driver fill 600 of those seats out of his own pocket. But here's my question. Why didn't they have the same problem at Gateway Motorsports Park, which only just recently came back to the calendar? 
why don't they have the same problem in Iowa who <laughs> did lose their race and then rethought their entire strategy and had a rip-roaring success this past well, year? And- we did just have five years of this race being an absolute stinker. Yeah. One and a half years of good racing around Texas isn't enough to arrest years and years of slog. And they have a new contract now. NASCAR NASCAR is much in the same boat with TMS where, again, the product on track needs to step forward before the viewership and the track attendance steps forward. This Um, has been a problem, a chronic problem for promoters for many oval races. I I disagree with Cam. I think the on-track product for IndyCar has been brilliant for years. That like, it, but not, the problem I'm talking about here, not a Texas. Speci- not a Texas, specifically at Texas. Yeah, and I, I would, I would never argue with you that the on-track product is great in IndyCar because usually it is. But, but the, that doesn't no matter. one's watching it. Yeah, like, like it doesn't. You could have the best product in the world if you, if no one knows about it. How good is it really? Like well, it's, 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 it's the classic tree fell in the forest argument, you know. If, if nobody hit, if nobody heard it, did it make a sound? <laughs> well, Dre, we talked about this at length the other night. IndyCar dumps its entire marketing load into the Indianapolis 500, the race that doesn't need any help because it will always market itself because it's the fucking Indianapolis 500. It is the it is the track, the race by which all American open-wheel racing lives or dies. The split proved that, along with other foolish behavior from both sides involved. Um, But it's so stagnant. It never grows. It never moves forward. It just, we've tried nothing, and we're all out of ideas. I I know what we're going to do. We're going to do our own Drive to Survive competitor exclusively around the Indy 500, ignoring the rest of the series, and we're going to put it on CW. The the broadcaster of uh, Live Golf. But even despite <laughs> despite all of that, there are healthy venues that, aren't, that don't have these patchy, mostly empty grandstands. I look at Barber Motorsports Park. It's a quote-unquote boring track that doesn't suit IndyCars and it's tucked away outside of the Midwestern market and the races always look healthy. But how's why the viewership? Can't Texas, why can't Texas do that? But how's the viewership? It, it, always been. it doesn't matter. In this case, it, it literally, matter. Qu- It quite literally does matter. Because if no one outside the track is watching it, then you're just trading one problem for another. Texas... You can make a legitimate argument with Texas. The reason why the in-person attendance and the TV ratings aren't that great is because Texas was a stinker for half a decade. Just so happens this year was really, really, really good. Other tracks do get good in-person attendance. But they still have no TV viewership. What I was going to say is that you can't sit here and tell me the TV ratings don't matter when IndyCar actually did get its wallet out and used Palo Award front and center in a commercial on TV locally before this race started that weekend. To bring people to the speedway, not to have them sit on their ass and watch it on television. Did it work? No. This is my, this is my point that I was going to make. We lost Pocono, we lost the Milwaukee Mile, we lost Phoenix, not because Pocono was unsafe or that Phoenix was bulldozed and turned into whatever the hell it was. It's because nobody came to their races. It's because no one cares about IndyCar, RJ. 
it's a niche within a niche, and that's all. Like, like it's one of these things where I but do niche wonder. series can still fill their grandstands every single event. I was but, just at Daytona, and well, Daytona just had it, it, false equivalence one hundred and one. With all new cars, massive influx of manufacturers. Cameron, it's still a niche series. And it's they, still a and, niche series compared to NASCAR. Everything yeah, and, is a niche series compared to NASCAR. Yeah, and five manufacturers just dump their load to enter it, and IndyCar can't get a third engine manufacturer. That's an entirely different problem. Is it? A third manufacturer alone is not going to put in, it's not going to fill all those grandstand it's a, seats. It's, it's, em, it's emblematic of a larger issue. I'm just saying that, like, the, the solution. No is one not watches just... IndyCar. Can, can I can I give you a perspective as a newer fan from the outside looking in? Because obviously I'm not American, so obviously I, mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't give you every nook and cranny and every angle. I've been an IndyCar fan for seven years now. I got my I think my first season was the year where Juan Pablo Montoya nearly stole it at getting out of Dodge when we still used to race at Sonoma. Um, I love IndyCar, and I love its racing, and I love a lot of its characters and personalities and people within it. I do fear that as a fan that's grown into this series, got to know the people within it, and, you know, know people who've had had drivers on the show talking about it, it always worries me that this series feels stagnant from from a standpoint of growth from a standpoint of development from a, a standpoint of of trying to make gains in a increasingly crowded american market that seemed to be warming to f1 again and where nascar is losing money left right and center this should be the golden period for indycar to say hey we have the best racing product in north america which they do and yet the series feels exactly the same as it was half a decade ago when I first started becoming a fan. That worries that's me. Because exactly, that's because that's exactly what it is. They've delayed the new cars until further notice. They killed the new engines entirely. It's now uh, one of them is sitting nestled in the back of an Acura prototype. The third engine manufacturer is not coming. And they devote any and all marketing that they do into the race that markets itself and then are blindsided, flabbergasted why more people aren't watching the rest of the series when the series seems to not give a shit about the series. So is the problem just going to fix itself if you just hire different people to run the marketing team? No. No, and that's a stupid notion. I don't know why you're thinking that. Because that Doing seems to be nothing. the notion that's that's being presented is that if any hired smile smarter people, RJ, then we have this problem. RJ, doing nothing and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And IndyCar does the same thing every year and expects a different result. They're and then, stagnant. And then when you call people out for talk for, for, for and you call people out for that. It, and, and which is a valid criticism to have of this series at this point. People get incredibly defensive about it, like, like, oh no, how dare you come after IndyCar and its amazing racing? But look, I get it. The racing is amazing. I will not. I will not argue that against you. What's amazing what? about it besides the racing? Is the fan nothing. experience ain't? The, There's no nothing. marketing. 
Um, they torpedoed any and all scenarios where they get a foot in the door with the video game crowd. Thanks, Motorsport Games, you jackasses. Um, God, they're losing so much money. But it's the notion that 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 I've seen in there where it's it's going to take the collapse of NASCAR, which, by the way, NASCAR is currently feuding with its own teams who are refusing to bargain like NASCAR is refusing to bargain in good faith with the teams to fix its extremely unstable financial structure. That might be a little closer than you think. Doing the idea that, oh, it's going to take that. So we should just keep doing nothing. Doesn't solve anything for IndyCar. And you know what's funny? They actually were producing more quirky outside of the box videos as, as a ways of promoting its series using its driving talent years ago when I first became a fan. That's completely dried up. The drama- it's gone. And it's going to take more than it, it. It's going to take a holistic approach from top to bottom. I mean, we're talking with uh, with King about this yesterday. And, you know, remember, remember that guy he used to mm. be on the show? Mm. I remember. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I heard he's he works for the company that called the RS two hundred ugly. Fuck that guy. <laughs> but um, we love you, King. Really, but it's like it's too far gone to fix at this point. I I, I do wonder if culturally, in, when it comes to not just IndyCar but racing in North America, is this it? Is this like, is this... I don't know if it's it, because I don't feel like... To to, to break out a metaphor, it feels like I'm holding on to the end of the rope and IndyCar is just spiking the other end of the rope into the tar. Folding their arms and not doing anything. So if IndyCar made a push, they made an... Because there's a reason why IndyCar's marketing department got our participation trophy last year, because they didn't fucking do anything. And the one major move that they did do, well, that video game ain't coming out this year Mm. because you hitched. Unfortunately, you hitched your entire wagon there to a money pit that doesn't that motorsport games is a machine that turns video game racing IPs into nothing. Yeah, all I was going to say as well, Jason makes a good point in the chat about this as well. They did have an attendance increase. Apparently, it was double digits percentage-wise. And I like the idea that, that Jason pointed out that Hy-Vee pumped a load of money into Iowa, and it was a great they spectacle. Did. The problem but, is, they, they got the, problem is, the good news is, you've got Ed Sheeran. Fantastic. One of the best musical artists in the world. Fantastic. Bad news, you've priced out half your audience by tripling the ticket prices. Well, and, and there you go. An entity dumped a bunch of money into Iowa and they actually got somewhere about it. So why is an IndyCar? And don't tell me that Roger Penske doesn't have the money. We know he does. Where is the marketing budget besides being dumped into the Indy 500, which doesn't need it because that race will always market itself. Where's the marketing budget from SMI for this race specifically? Other than just the track. It's it's not going to, it's not going to come from SMI. It has to come from IndyCar RJ. A cer- a who, certain who, point. who owns Texas Motor Speedway, my dude? <laughs> well, IndyCar's the one that's putting that's putting on events down there. They have to take some degree of accountability for this too. <laughs> it's it, it's it's frustrating because we we've had like a twenty minute conversation about this, and like 
it's frustrating because we're talking about a 10 out of 10 race here that just happened at this at this track that no one in watched a, in, a, in a series that is as good as any other major motorsport series in the world right now absolutely and it feels like we're screaming into the void talking about it because it feels like it gets one one hundredth of what Formula One gets, and and, not, and it deserves better. But it feels like the series itself doesn't want it to be better. That's what frustrates me about IndyCar. It feels like we're stuck in the mud, and that frustrates me more than any bad race, than any janky commentary call, or any spear in a pit lane. And it's a shame because the racing is so good. But IndyCar is a walking case study that that only will get you so far. And when they're making basic mistakes, in, in my opinion, basic mistakes like this, and then want to sit on their hands when people point out these issues and just lean on the fact, oh, well, the racing's good. Well, it feels like I'm screaming into the void. And this is coming from an, a UK fan. And I, I know Indy guys doesn't give a shit about me. I made my you, piece of that years ago. But you have jaded F1 fans that will go out of their way and evangelize about how great this was, including my own editor-in-chief at Race Fans, who will almost always go out of his way to tell you that, F, that this is way, way better than any of the shit you watch in Formula 1. So why isn't anyone watching it? Why aren't people making the jump? In, in the UK, your editor-in-chief's British, RJ. I know, I know who he is. He follows me on Twitter. Like, it's on Sky Sports F1. If people are paying the £30 a month for, a, for Sky Sports F1 on their Skyboxes, they get IndyCar for free. You cannot be in the situation that IndyCar is and rely entirely on word of mouth and people like us screaming into the heavens about how good the product is. I, I, you, I feel... as an entity, as a responsibility to your series, need to buck up and make an effort. I feel like I'm Brian Alvarez in his infamous wrestling rant where he talks about, I'm going to sail around on a gold boat. <laughs> just just screaming into the void about how great this series can be. And yet, the, I don't understand where the disconnect comes from. Because like we talked, like, we've covered IndyCar full-time on this channel for five years plus. And I get it. We're British. We're, we're, we're most of our audiences. People aren't going to make that jump. And again, it feels like a niche series that only gets talked about on Twitter. And then, and then it, it becomes a, a turf war about that. Right? Oh, oh my God! Like the only people that voted up look, this F one poll were F one fans. Well, good because they're look, content. Look, <laughs> Trey, I'm a sports car racing fan. It is a niche of a niche of a niche. And they are drowning in manufacturer support right now. They are drowning in new entries. While IndyCar has none of the sort. And the Indy 500 is an eminently marketable race. You it's, will get eyes on your product the if biggest you race it in, on your car. It's the biggest race in North America. <laughs> well, it used to be. It should be. Sadly. But... You will get visibility on your product if you have a car in the 500. No one takes the bait. I, I don't know what the obvious solution. I don't, I don't think there is a silver bullet. There, solution there is no silver. There is no silver bullet. Thank you. There's That's, no. There's no but, silver but you, bullet. But you're. But what is? But you're telling me that there isn't a solution unless NASCAR dies. That's for sure. That's, that's not correct. 
it, 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 should, it is it a whole... have, yeah it shouldn't have to come down to another series collapsing for you to pick up their fans and there's no guarantee you're even going to do that if that were to happen do you realize how no one hates racing more than nascar fans no one hates nascar more than nascar fans let me tell you that i'm one of them but it is going it needs a holistic entire company approach from the powers that be in indycar whether it's the people they have now or they bring in new people i don't know the solution i don't work for them if they want me to come work for them i'm available your rates are very cheap. Um, d- d- pay me, pay me with a ham sandwich. I'll take it. I but, truly but don't know what the problem is. The problem, uh, because the problem is everything. The problem, it's, the, the problem it's a is lot everything but the racing product and Out, the Indy Five Hundred. Outside of the racing product, what does IndyCar do well, RJ? Before I get out of here. The fact you've already taken this long to answer worries me. Destroy their relationship with their esports community. They did that. <laughs> they did a bang up job of that. Well, um, but but it, my point is, if you are IndyCar's marketing department, just, just IndyCar at large, you need to take a long, hard look at your series and think what we're doing right now, which is to say, fuck all, is not enough. What are the areas that we need to look at? Who do we need to bring in? And what approach do we need to take to say, okay, the Indy 500, that's good. That will always be good. How do we get the whole series up? What what, what I would say is, and this is my final point before we get out of here, because we're getting, we're getting close to an hour here. What I would say is, is that if IndyCar didn't know this, didn't think this was a problem, they wouldn't be advertising roles like this like a social like a new social media admin like new people in the marketing department and they wouldn't be having people like jay fry coming out and saying that this is what we're going to be doing with our marketing budget now and, and we've expanded upon it they know this is a problem they know this is an issue and i hope they i sincerely hope as a fan of the series they know what they're doing and know how to direct how to direct their resources to try and increase growth in this thing because this is going to keep coming up these competitions are going to keep happening because it, you know what? Nothing irritates me more than people screaming at me saying, go watch Series X and and saying, oh, look how great this is. I'm watching it. It's great. I want more people to watch it. And it's frustrating that it seems that people don't want to do that. And I want to figure out why. And that's what the series needs to figure out. It's a shame because Texas was fucking brilliant. It was, a, was a goddamn awesome race. It was incredible. It, 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 it's a, got a very good chance of being the 2023 race of the year. And yet, we're, just like Cape Town in Formula E earlier this year, we're coming away for it frustrated because we know the respective series that hosts these events can do better. And I want them to be better. That's why we get so heated about them in the first place. IndyCar is back next weekend at Long Beach. Rossi land, as I like to call it, uh, for the Grand Prix there. Like, I'm not the biggest Long Beach guy in the world, but hey, maybe we'll get some fun out of it. We'll see how that goes. Um, we'll spread these out over the next week because we've actually got a free week this week. Wow, we, got, we ain't covering anything. Isn't that weird? Um, yeah, we got yeah. time off. 
we, we, we're having a holiday. I'm, I'm, I'm Some gonna, of us I'm, have to. I'm, I'm going to put my feet up. It's going to be great. Um, shout out to my, my boys on this show because they've had to work very hard over the last two days to do four <laughs> shows for your enjoyment. And I got um, cut I, in half a week ago. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm juggling madness at the day job at WTF one at the same time. Trust me, if you guys knew. Um, but you know, I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we have. We beat we beat our heads together because we love motorsport and we love doing this. And I wouldn't trade it in for the world. So, hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, thank you all very much for listening um, and not watching. Like I said in the last episode, whoops. Um, <laughs> we'll be back in a week's time, probably going knowing our order for Formula One in Baku. Actually, no, that's, that's, that's two weeks in time. It'll back to be MotoGP at Texas next. I think if if my if, if my uh, deductive skills are about correct, it'll be MotoGP. We will be back Texas. for a race somewhere uh, in some series, um, and we'll have a great time talking about it. Yeah, enjoy the bank holiday, fellow Brits. Uh, enjoy the four day weekend. We'll catch you on the flip side. I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ and Cam Buckley. I'm going to hit RJ with a steel chair. Thank you very much for listening. Sayonara. Do it first. <laughs> I will put my hands up because I know how to protect myself in the event of a chair shot to the head. 